Thank you for tuning back in the 11th Hour Addiction Recovery. My name is Adam, I'm an alcoholic. I'm Pat, I'm an alcoholic. Tonight's topic, there is absolutely no topic. Uh, we just wanted to touch base with you guys, talk about recovery, talk about what's going on in our lives. Um, as you know, we still kind of press on with this, uh, everything going on in the pandemic, but I did hear, uh, you know, some, some really good news this morning in the news is that, you know, like there's, there is 25% of the U S population right now is fully vaccinated. So that definitely means that there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel, whether you, whether you're for the vaccination or not for the vaccination, we're, we're not here to debate that. Uh, you know, statistically though things are going in in a different direction and you know truthfully we don't know what recovery looks like in you know in your your neck of the woods um you know whether it's illinois or north carolina or wisconsin or wherever you are texas restrictions are different all over the place and your level of comfort going to -to face-to-face meetings is is different for everyone i'll be honest you know i haven't done a lot of face-to-face meetings in the past two months because of, of the, you know, of coronavirus and everything that's been going on. And um, a very close person to me came down with COVID-19 and uh, it developed COVID pneumonia and is still recovering from COVID pneumonia. You know, that was in early March. Uh, and I think that that definitely hit close to home with me personally. And, you know, to, to have someone, I know that those word effects were out there, but it, it you know, it hit differently when, when you knew the person. So, um, I haven't done face-to-face meetings in a while. Adam know? hasn't left the apartment in two months. Uh, that's I've left the apartment, um, but certainly, and I, I've done a lot of the Zoom, and I'm you know grateful for it. I'm grateful that uh, you know the treatment center that I went to has an alumni meeting every Thursday, and I get perspectives, you know, from their national alumni you know meeting that of, you know, a whole different levels of sobriety, you know, uh, people that are, you know, just getting out of treatment to people that have been sober for seven years. And, you know, I've been hopping around the country and hopping around the world pretty much on Zoom. So I'm grateful for that experience because I would have never experienced that, you know, pre-COVID-19. Well, yeah, I mean, that's been a huge thing. It's what got me through the first three months of sobriety last year because everything was shut down. Um, it's a great resource that we have. Um, it really takes away your excuse not to go to a meeting um, because you got to, I don't know what, you, what kind of lies you got to feed yourself to talk yourself out of just getting on a, a laptop or a computer or your phone and logging into a meeting. Um, some of which are too big and there's no way everybody could talk and even just listening. Um, I, on the other end of the spectrum, I don't do any virtual meetings. I only go to in-person meetings. I just, just going for it. I'm also fully vaccinated and I still follow all the safety precautions. So that makes me a little more comfortable doing it. Um, which it's, it's funny you bring that up because I've been thinking like, yeah, the vaccination rates are going up, but there's all these variants coming out and I'm not going to get into this crazy COVID conspiracy thing um, as much as I want to, because I think it's really fun to talk about, but it is. There are statistics in the Chicagoland area that on the north side of Chicago, which we're in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, um, the close northwest sh- suburbs, I should say, um, 
But the more vaccinated areas on the north side of Chicago, the infection rate is going up, even though their vaccination rates are high because everybody's just saying fuck it and running around without their masks on and 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 not washing their hands and going in places without masks on. So it, it's kind of a, a catch twenty two because I think there's there's a lot of this I think going on with the, the vaccination where it's go get it, go get it, go get it, but nobody tells you how it works. That it's not a be all end all. You can still get sick when you get the vaccination. You're, you're just supposed to not here. get as sick. Yes. Um, it's supposed to prevent you from having to be hospitalized. But anyway, that's the end of my people are idiots rant. Um, yes, but you you under you underestimated the power I have in talking myself out of doing something because I I've been exactly in that spot and, and am still able to talk myself out of going on a zoom meeting that's why it's important to me that i you know i have regular meetings that i go to you know my thursday night meeting uh that i that i won't miss uh which is you know quickly kind of take on the place of a home group and uh there's just certain particular meetings that i won't miss but i i I can easily talk myself out of doing anything i'm gifted here's a trap procrastination here's a trap so say that this thing doesn't keep going in the right direction we get Everything shuts down a lot again, where a lot of meetings go away, and there's those few still in person, but I am forced to go back into the virtual world. One thing that I am nervous about with myself is I already know my brain is going to say, say I get home from work at 5, and there's a 5.30 Zoom meeting, but there is also a 6 o'clock Zoom meeting, and there's also a 6.30 Zoom meeting. I'm going to say, I don't need to go to the 5.30 one. I can go to the 6. And then as the 6 approaches, I'll say, I don't need to go to the 6. I'll go to the 6.30. And before I know it, it's going to be 11.30 at night. I'm going to have eaten half a gallon of ice cream, and I'm going to be ready to go to bed. And that is how I will procrastinate and rationalize my way out of going to a virtual meeting. Yes, I too procrastinate, but the rule I have, and this is totally silly. And I, well, I mean, it's not silly because I have to do it. It's silly that I have to do it. But, you know, I got this new Xbox. You have the new brand, you know, Xbox X series. And, and I'm a big Call of Duty fan. So my rule with myself is that I cannot turn on the Xbox until I've gone to a meeting. It's like you're doing your homework. Yeah. So you bet your ass. If I'm done at work, at, you know, if I get home at 5 o'clock, I'm looking for a 505 meeting, you know, because <laughs> I want to turn that Xbox on. And that's, you know, one thing I, I, I always have to use that xbox as a reward mechanism for all my things because otherwise i get sucked into i get sucked into that game too easily what happens when you download the zoom application for your xbox and buy yourself a webcam oh i i mean one we both know that i'm not that technologically sophisticated to do so (laughs) so that is that is i'm ill-equipped to even attempt Two, I, i keep it very you know i have my my dedicated zoom spot right you know where it goes ever so slightly in my bookcase the toilet no my bookcase oh. everyone's got a zoom spot you know where where they you know that's their spot to do zoom and mine i have my bookcase behind me so it makes it appear that i'm smarter than i actually am oh like all the news anchors yes yes uh so that's my dedicated zoom spot but no i, I mean i keep the xbox is separate it's, it's a reward system that's usually how we get around it though is that I'm not playing any Call of Duty until, you know, I, I, I have my, my meeting out of the way 
and I'm set up and ready to go for the next day at work. And, you know, I've made any phone calls I need to make for the day because otherwise I know what's going to happen once I turn that game on. All that stuff flies out the window. Well, yeah, it's a great, it's a great thing. I mean, you can apply that in a lot of ways to working a program, right? When we, when, for me personally, as I've gotten 14 months piled together here, I do have a very difficult time kind of going back and not patting myself on the back in like an overconfident, you know, asshole way, but like even giving myself credit where credit's due or giving myself a reward of some sort for reaching some sort of milestone that I didn't think I would reach or, or just noticing a change I've made in my life. And that's, that's a great incentive to give yourself that, that goal to say, when I get this done, then I can go have this reward. I can go play this for so long because otherwise it would be very easy to fall into that trap of just, like I said, push it off to later because there's so many available or I'll just do one tomorrow. It's always in my pocket on my phone. You know, it's, I, I think that's, it's just, a, it's, it's, it sounds silly, I think, but I think it's a very realistic, very attainable set of goals to, to fulfill your requirements in the evening. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I still credit the installment of basic discipline to my experience at Sober Living. Because my experience with sober living versus, you know, living in an IOP residence was, was night and day. You know, I, I went to Normandy House where Pat's a manager, and that's where Pat, Pat and I met. And, you know, I stayed there until I, I had a year of sobriety. But I, I credit a lot of those things, you know, doing chores, going to daily meeting, talking to your sponsor. And when that is done, then you can do your own thing. But that stuff has to be done first. And it, it was it was ingrained in me. And it's a really odd, weird feeling if, you know, like the other day I was got up and I was like, oh, I got this appointment. And, you know, I know you talked about it too. It's like, I got to make this bed. I can't leave this house without making this bed. I'm going to be five minutes late and I'm going to have to accept that I'm going to be five minutes late because I cannot accept not making my bed. It's just not how it works. You know, right down to doing chores and sweeping and mopping and, and doing particular chores. I credit all that discipline. To going to, to sober living because some you know at sober living the the great convenience of it where i was fortunate where you know i spent a large part of the pandemic was we meetings right there you know all i had to do was walk 20 feet and it was there recovery was there and it was centered all of my life and until i could i it enabled me to to root recovery deep in my life so that all of a sudden recovery became a part of it without me actually you know even thinking about it where it's like well and not just recovery but the everyday discipline factors of life that i wouldn't normally want to do taking out the trash doing your chores you know being active with a sponsor being active with other people who are in addiction who think like you talking to other men when you have problems to get their perspective all that stuff was foreign to me so i i certainly credit that to normandy house Oh, yeah, that's something we've been talking actually at home a lot about lately with some people. Um, the the esteemable acts, the things like making your bed, doing your dishes, keeping your room clean, your half of the room clean and organized. Um, not just because we have, you know, guests or visitors that come and check the place out to see if they want to move in or the the folks that actually own and run the place come by to, you know, just do kind of a a checkup on the place, make sure we're not destroying it. It's not for that. It's for yourself. And I've really, 
over the last, uh, what, 13 months I've lived there now, I've really noticed that change in me where when I walk into my room, my little half of a bedroom, when I get home from work, if the bed's not made pretty good or my desk area from working at home and school is not, it's just like a, by the end of the week, it looks like a tornado went off and I absolutely have to straighten it up on the weekend. If I don't, I don't feel good. I don't feel as good. Everything kind of starts to go south. Um, we just had a guy that was talking about moving out suddenly. Going to go back to mom and dad's. It's closer to work. He's already there. He spends a lot of time. It's not far from the house. Why is he paying this money just to sleep here? Blah, blah, blah. All of these things that make sense. But do they make sense to your recovery? And we were talking to him about all the little things he's been doing, you know, at the house, like doing his chores and cleaning up and how he has to continue doing that and how easy it is to go back to mom and dad's and forget about that stuff. Um and that it is those little things that start to change your life, but it's also being 24-7 in an area where you can live recovery. And you were at the house for a year. You saw people come in and out, and there's waves of people that come in, and everything's fine. It's a good group for a while, and then you get people that come in, and they don't even make it two weeks. Um, they're, they're using again. They don't come home, whatever it may be. And... What I've been telling, because, you know, there's there's rules and stipulations and people mess up. It's Unfortunately, it's part of the process for some people. And they'll have an opportunity to move back in. And that's what I've been kind of reiterating to them is that the people I've seen stick around now for the last 13 months are people that actually make it their home. They live there. They care about the family room being straightened up. They care about the kitchen being clean. They care about knowing their roommates. They come home and treat it like a home, like an apartment, like it really is supposed to be. It's not just a place to sleep. It's not just, it is a step to the next level. Like it was a step for you to get to here. Yeah. But you were at least entwined enough to, even though you had a weird, you have a weird work schedule to where when you were home, you were at the meetings, you were outside, you were interacting with people. Yeah. The people in the, the townhouse we both lived in didn't see you walk through a room and be like, who the hell is that? You know, like there's, there are, unfortunately, there's people that do it that way and then it doesn't go as well for them. Yeah. It, it became a basic code for my life. It, it became a manuscript and I don't mess with it because it worked and I needed a place that was going to instill discipline in my life and discipline and recovery and it integrated my life in, in a very different way where it was recovery first, building back some of those relationships. You know, I was able to go and start mending some of the relationships with me in a, in a very different type of setting where I was able to go and pick up my kids and do stuff with them, but then drop them off and still go home. And, and early on there was, you know, the days where I was really having like those hard days where I was craving and I wanted to use, or I wanted to drink and I would walk into there and I knew it was a safe environment. It was like, it was like dropping like a 50 pound weight and it was such a sigh of relief. And there was a point though, where I was just there. And in the beginning, I was just there. This is where I was. And because I was used to running, you know. And I was oh, yeah, just, absolutely. I ran everywhere, you know, and I, and I always had most of the stuff that I, that I had owned in my car, which is common, you know, quick getaway. You know, if you get, you know, this, this, this dope house doesn't work, you know, you jump to the next one. And it was like, it was like four months in, five months into it. Where I finally was like unpacking all my stuff out of my car. And we looked at him and he's like, what are you doing? I was like, 
went back to my stuff, man. I guess I live here now. And that was, and I felt that. And I, and it was, it became something bigger to me. It wasn't a place to stay. It was where I lived. And I had, I took a lot of pride in, in living there and ownership of living there because I loved what the house was about. I loved that it created a community with the clients. I loved that it was, you know, well spoken of and well thought of in the recovery community. It was, you know, very easy for me to go down to the local Alamo club and they're like, oh, you live at Normandy House? How's that going? They were so receptive and it was everything that I thought sober living wasn't. And I never thought, you know, it's like, well, I live in a halfway house. So it's like, I remember my dad one time, he's like, you know, oh, so you're in a halfway house. I'm like, well, dad, I prefer the term, the term sober living for <laughs> you know, I, I'm not crazy. And he's like, okay. And he's like, well, what's the difference? And I was like, let me tell you, he goes, this sounds exactly like what you need. And I was like, yeah, I know. And it, it was such a, a miracle and a blessing just for me to get in there. And, and I firmly believe that was God's direction to get me in there because I was sitting in treatment and I had it all lined up to go to this different, I can't remember the name of the house. It was a different sober living house in Joliet and it was super far from work, but it's really hard to get into a sober house in wintertime. And I was checking out in January. There's no beds open in the wintertime. No one wants to sleep in the cold. And it was all set up and ready to go. And it was the holiday time right before New Year's. And I'm like getting ready to leave. And I go to follow back up. They're like, well, you know, we thought you were going to have an opening, but just, you know, we thought we we're going to have to have to kick some people out, but no one's been kicked out. And I'm sorry, we just don't have any beds. We suggest you keep calling back. I have to put it first, and it happens easily sometimes, and some days it doesn't. But if I'm not living in that recovery mind frame, I'm going to have a shitty day, first of all. And I'm just going to start breaking those barriers down that are built between me and that first drink. Um, and that's, that's what the sober living, whether I wanted it or not, since I actually decided to live there once I was there for a little bit and jump into doing the virtual meetings and doing the house meetings and trying to run meetings and running around trying to do the shit I was told to do and forming opinions about stuff and putting thought into the recovery and not just being closed-minded about all of it, 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 it leaks into your life and you start living it before you even realize it. Most definitely. And I, this time around, it was the fact of the matter is I, I finally took a look around and I realized, you know, when I checked into, into treatment, they're like, okay, after 24 hours, you got a safety call. And they're like, okay, it's time for your safety call. And I was like, okay. And I just paused. They're like, okay, and? And I was like, I don't have anybody to call. Because no one was going to take my phone call. And it was like, then I was like, okay, I put myself here. And if I don't like where I am, I need to take a big, hard look at myself and realize that I am the problem. <clears throat> and that's what, you know, and, and being in sober living it allowed me to work on myself. I was fortunate, you know, I was able to go to sober living. And I tried to, you know, other ways too, getting in recovery and trying to be at home. You know, when I was married with a wife and with the kids, and what ended up happening was I, I focused too much on the marriage, trying to fixate and control that and fix that. Whenever I understood was that I had created problems and I needed time to work on myself. And that's exactly what sober living did for me. And as Joel said it best, if you look at the family afterwards, the family gets sick with us. And sometimes, you know, I highly recommend if, if someone is able to, to take that time apart to do some sober living, even if it's for a short period of time to do so. 
because no one knows how to act around you when you're sober, like brand new sober, like even your, your parents, your spouse, your girlfriend, whoever it is, they're all walking around in eggshells. You don't know how to talk to each other. They don't believe you. They don't believe you. You know, it's like they, <laughs> they have they, no reason to. They have no reason to. And all of a sudden we're yelling back at them. We're like, I'm 30 days sober. When is this going to end? It's just, it's a tough dynamic. And I know yeah. that there's people out there that have gone directly home and done it. And it's every, you know, that's the tricky part. Well, you know? some of what comes into play with what you're saying too, you go right back to that. You go home, you got the kids, you got the wife or the husband or the the dog or the parents or the in-laws live there. Or you got this job and now the job is, you know, a big stressor because you missed a month because you went to treatment and, then you got the stress piled on top of you, like not wanting everyone to know that you're in treatment. And then they got to come up with your cover story and all this shit. What are you going to do? You're going to find the first thing to grab that you think is going to make you happy. And maybe that's fixing your marriage. I am going to completely focus on this relationship and get it back. And then I'll be happy because we can never realize that we have to work on ourselves. We can't. We still like 14 months sober. And I'm sure when I'm 10 years sober, I'll still be Finding, trying to find an easier way without realizing it to make myself happy. Yes, and it's you see it all the time. And if that's not the relationship, we all had financial problems or have financial problems. And, you know, life was sloppy and it was messy before. You know, we, we had to go to treatment for a reason or we had to get sober for a reason. And chances are your financial life is, is out of control. And, you know, that's part of the unmanageability. Yeah, I'm just finally starting to focus my efforts on that. Yeah, it, it's of getting a plan to get collections paid off and debts under control, at least on a steady payment schedule. And I'm 14 months sober, and really in the last two weeks is when I finally started being like, I think it's time to start tackling this. Yeah, because I finally feel like mentally I am ready to look at the numbers and be like, well, it's going to take a long time, but also be able to look at it and be like, it's going to take a long time, but if I do it this way, it's manageable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the some of the best financial advice that I got in early recovery was, you know, and, and if you hate Dave Ramsey, I'm sorry, but it's like, check out Dave Ramsey and check out his debt snowballing plan. It was, first off, save $1,000 as an emergency fund. Once you have $1,000 saved up, you can then start paying off your debts. But don't do anything until you have that emergency fund. Because, you know, what happens to us in recovery if we pop a tire... And, you know, we're trying to collect, you know, trying to pay all these people off. It's, it's a giant stressful event. But if you have that emergency fund, it's a lot easier. Then you go from debt snowballing, you tackle the lowest to the highest. And, and it's a whole process. But that's, that's you know, finances are, are boring and monotonous. And, and yeah. everyone has. Finance and budgeting by Adam. Finance and budgeting it is not something I enjoy doing. But it's something that I, I uh, um, take pride in now apparently it's part of being a sober responsible adult yeah i take pride in now because it was <sighs> so hard to get out of that financial like to get out of that struggle and to not be like and to find the ground and be like wow if something broke i could fix it today that's cool well not only that but for me like really two weeks ago it's like i'm searching and searching and searching and doing one of those things where i'm in a funky mood and i don't know why and it seems like it's dragging on now. I'm doing all the things I was doing. I'm going to meetings, I'm talking to my sponsor, I'm praying. I'm actually worked the meditating back in like we talked about last episode. But there was still something looming over me, and I got this, you know, collection letter. And I was like, I think this is it. Just for some reason, I actually looked at the letter, read it over, and then thought about it and was like, 
yeah, this is something that's just poking at me. Yeah. Because I haven't looked at it. I haven't tried to deal with it. And there is completely a responsible, manageable way to deal with this. What's the problem? Is I want it to be done now. Yeah. And it's not possible. It's not even that bad of debt. Like, it's debt, but it's not like 30 grand. I'm talking like six, seven grand. Like, it's not a lot, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not the, the, the kind of money I just have laying around to be like plop on the table here, you're done. And obviously, as being an alcoholic, that's what I want, right? Of course, we all want instant gratification. The, the difference is now is that you, and you see, you hear in the promises, you know, fear of financial insecurity will leave us. It's crazy how they put that in there. It's like they know me. Yeah, where it's like, okay, well, you know this is a problem, and you and you have acceptance that it's going to take time. But you know that your world isn't crashing down around you. It's not consuming you. It's like, yeah, subconsciously, it's poking. <clears throat> and you need to take some action at it. Yeah. But you also have common sense today being like, well, I don't think I should dump all my savings into this and whatever and live, you know, and live way below my means because you know you see that all the time is especially early on in recovery and i can't stress that enough like we don't do well eating ramen noodles we don't do well in those scenarios living way below our means trying to catch up and you see it a lot when someone is in early recovery it's like well financial life is a mess let me work three jobs to get out of it where it's like no 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 and I'm guilty of that. You know, I, I've tried to, because you try to latch on to what you think is going to fix you and trying to control the other problem. I'm guilty of trying to fix relationships. I'm guilty of trying to get a better financial status. I'm guilty of it all through trial and error. And I've done that. You know, I've been in a treatment center and left to 28 days where I'm like, yo, man, I got stuff to do. You know, I got to get back to work. I got a family to get back to. I got this relationship to get back to. I, in even early on in my teen years, you know, I, I would go into treatments like, yo, I got this girl I got to see. I don't got time for this. It was always something else. But early recovery, realistically, should be as simple as you can make it mm-hmm. on yourself to get through that, not only those feelings and emotions, but to firmly root yourself into recovery so that eventually recovery just becomes second nature in most things that you do, you know, it's none of us wake up instantly and be like, Oh, recovery. got to do this. It's, it takes time and practice. It does. And it's, it's, there's things that I've tried to force the subject on and been like, I'm good with this. Now I can move on to the next thing. And it's not the truth. Like, um, I still have this whole, you know, like the, the thought that pops in my head, like, oh, like, I'm good. I should go find a girl to date or something. But, like, all honesty with myself, no, I shouldn't. I am a fucking wreck still. I am an emotional whirlwind of ridiculousness. And I get in these modes, and it's always it's it's always just, like, old habit, old this validates me in some way. And it's usually me trying to push off doing some work on myself and yeah. really learning how to sit with myself. But I finally feel like I'm in a place now in that aspect when I do have those feelings kind of rush upon me and I want to grab at that stuff to where I can identify it yeah, and deal with it as opposed to being 
you know, knee deep in five different dating apps and like talking to like six different people and all this ridiculous things. Like you said, grab three jobs. Like, well, I'll talk to 17 girls and yeah, one of totally. them, but it's and just it a makes, mess. It makes sense. It's just a mess. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, like this is not going to fix this. It goes back to the um, earlier episode, filling that inner yeah. void. And it's much harder when you want, when you're feeling that void or feel that need to take that look in yourself and be like, okay, what aspect of my life am I not paying attention to? What is hurting right now? And I need to take a better, harder inner look at myself because no relationship is going to make you happy. No, you know, it's, it's just going to bring more shit on you if you're not ready to be one. Be yeah. One. And if, and truthfully it's, you know, in the, in, I'm never one because you know it, it doesn't state anywhere in the big book that you that you shouldn't date without a year. It's simply merely a suggestion, and the only thing that I will ever say about it is that make sure that the relationship within yourself is in firm fit condition before you bring another person into it. Because when we bring other people into our lives, we're bringing them in. You know, they're getting the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what's your ugly? You know, what's that going to look like for them? Because you're going to alter their life. For better or for worse. Correct. And so, ladies, sorry, but I'll see you in about twenty years. <laughs> and that was that's that's a hard and very mature decision, but it goes right back because what did we used to do to in, in you know in in active addiction? It's like, well, I'm feeling this way, better throw some substance in it. Well, yeah, absolutely, and that's the thing is just catching yourself doing it with the next thing now, like yeah, and as the mile the, the miles the months have gone by some of the really obvious things are no longer a problem i'm not drinking 18 energy drinks a day i'm not drinking two pots of coffee i'm not doing all these really radical like things that really stand out to me it's all these like more subtle subtle things little behaviors that i have to catch myself in you know am i throwing my sleep schedule off because i'm just being a stubborn little kid and being like, I'm staying up till midnight tonight. Like, mm-hmm. just stupid shit like that. But, like, there are still these big, like, dramatic things that I find myself being pulled towards. And it's just like, no. Like, you don't need to burn it all down right now. Nope. It's okay to be bored a little bit yeah. and just be cruising. Am I bored with my program? No. Am I bored with my job? No, because like I'll sit down and make a list and be like, I'm not bored with any of this stuff. I just feel bored because everything's fine. Yeah. And then you get that. It's, there's that point into where it's like, hmm, this is what my life is. Because it feels different. And different to us feels bored because we're used to riding the chaos train. And the goal is to just have it. And there's nothing wrong with cruising. I call it just being neutral. And there's nothing wrong with me being in neutral. You know, yeah, I have things that are exciting in my life today and, and everything else, but I catch myself doing that all the time, and, and, and I catch it a lot with food. You know, I catch that all the time. It's like, Adam, you know why you feel like garbage is because you've eaten like garbage for like oh, two weeks. Like, yeah, you're not sleeping good. Yeah, you feel tired. Yeah, you feel overweight. Yeah, you're more sluggish because you're not taking care of your body. And as, as lame as it is, you know, that, that all that nutrition and everything plays a huge and vital part to my, not only my physical health, but my mental health, where it's like, well, yeah, no wonder why I'm feeling like I'm, I'm going into a depressive episode because 
I'm getting Wendy's and Burger King and McDonald's and pizza and I'm not eating breakfast and I'm going right to the cup. It's like, I catch myself in that too. The difference is, is that, you know, it's always weighing that balance out because we're never going to be perfect at it. But if you can catch it, that's the beauty of the program where you can analyze it and be like, yeah, got to pay some attention in that area because it ain't fun to feel like shit. You know, no. it's not why I started doing this where it's like, okay, well, I need to have some more discipline in that area. No, and you start paying attention to more of it and more of it, I think, just naturally. It doesn't become such a mindful, like, I have to look at this stuff. It just kind of occurs to you. Um, and then if you look back at how you were living before you stopped using, like, no wonder I felt like shit. Not just the drugs and the alcohol, but, like, Ugh. I wasn't eating or was yeah. overeating or binge eating or just eating like shit. And... I personally not moving unless I absolutely had to like for work. Yeah. <laughs> like home sitting on the couch drinking staring at the TV all the time. Um yeah, it's it's just weird like that's just something I think I've been noticing more and more is just things things have progressed in my life normal life skills that I didn't even realize were progressing and and my reactions to things because they're no longer these, you know, like you had said, like uh, getting a flat tire would, you know, in the, it could still be a disaster in your first couple months of sobriety. It could still yeah. be a disaster whenever, but it's how you respond to that now. And I've had a few instances lately where it was like I had my whole plan set. I was coming home from work last week. Didn't have anything to do in the evening. Was very much looking forward to it. It was the first time in like a week and a half I was just going to be able to go home, cook dinner, hang out, and go to bed. And something happened at the house about 10 minutes after I got home. And I had to deal with that. It was this big show. It was ambulances and all sorts of stuff. And I was just rolling with it, you know. And then everything cleared. Everything was done. Person was okay. They got taken away, whatever. And we sit down and we're sitting there. And I'm just like. That would have ruined like a month for me in what? the past because it would have interfered with my drinking, like anything like that. And I, my battery died over the winter and I couldn't get home from work right away. And I thought of that when that happened. Like I, I just made a phone call, said, hey, I don't have jumper cables. Can you come over and give me a jump? Joel came over, gave me a jump, and I just chilled and waited for him, literally chilled outside in the really cold weather. But it was fine. It just happened. And it was like, just those little moments is when it's just kind of like, all right, all this other hard work I'm doing is totally worth it mm -hmm. to feel like this right now. Yeah. You, you get that balance back into your life and you, all of a sudden I, it was a certain point where I just realized it's like the world just doesn't run on my agenda. And which is still bullshit. It is but. because my agenda pretty damn good most days because <laughs> i came up with it yeah but when something interferes with it 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 will initially disrupt me and then i have to remind myself it's like okay whose agenda are you really on you know how are you are it's you know do i really want to go tonight and be like okay was i selfishly taken out of the world tonight or was i trying to put more into it it's like i don't want another night like that so fucking roll with it and it's usually small stuff that interferes with you know whatever and the, the good thing now at 18 months is when I catch myself doing those things where it's like, oh, my God, I feel like crap because I've binged on fast food for two weeks. I don't immediately jump to the next extreme, which is 
let's get a gym membership and let's break out the credit card and you know, can I get lipo? You know, how much is that going to cost? He was and, drinking a chicken and broccoli smoothie when I got here. A little concerned about that. No, I was not. <laughs> That's water. Oh, uh, but I'm able to, and, and but I know that there's a there's a balance there. It's like okay, I need to eat better, but I'm still going to eat yeah. pizza once a week because it's a treat. Yeah, and you can't you can't fix the last two weeks or whatever. You, you can't know. do anything about it. What can I do now going forward? Going forward, I can make it a, a sustainable you know, attainable goal to reach where it's like, okay, eat healthy, you know, for the majority of your day and the majority of your week, but still find that, that balance in it where I'm not going to turn down pizza. You know, it's pizza. Why would you? Exactly. And I'm not going to turn down treats because, you know, it's, and I think that's important in recovery that we don't, you know, cause you see it a lot with like, oh, you know, and it's, it's, and that's part of going to that other extreme. Like yeah, you said, we it's, all want to be fit, but, Foods, the only, sometimes the only reward I have some some days, you know, it's like, all right, when I'm done with all this stuff, I'm going to eat me some ice cream, you know, and it's, I know it sounds kind of childlike, but. That's, that's how I reward myself every day, and I have to stop that because it's too much ice cream. Yeah. But, and it's just, it's gone on, it's gone on long enough, it's out of control, it's, it's probably not going to change in the next week. I but, do, I do love the fact that Pat and I have been quarantined together more than once, and I'd be sitting there, and I, I, I would of course be like playing video games or something. Pat would sit down, like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm door dashing ice cream," and I'd be like, "Okay, it's like two in the morning, but okay, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm like, I'm, I'm not gonna. That's your thing, dude. No, that's like my downfall right now, but it, and I know it is, and. Just, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite ready to take that step and completely cut it. But that's the thing is, I think I have to completely cut it out, and I don't. No, you don't. I just need to moderate it. And but that's what I often find myself doing is I am overweight. It has been an issue for me for a long time. It's been a mental thing, and I want to work on it. And I always end up making this mountain out of it because I go, I weigh this much, and I want to weigh this much, and there's a lot between those two numbers. How am I going to get there as fast as possible? And then I'll go work out way too hard and I'll go like, I'll go work out like I'm 19 again. And then I'll go start eating like only vegetables and only chicken. And then I'm sick of it after three days. And then I'm like, you know what? This is too hard. Then I go into that. This is too hard mode. And then it's just like back to ice cream every night. Um, I have not had the ordering out binge in quite a while. So that's good. Um, I, I do feel though. That most general rules kind of go out the window during a quarantine. Like, you know, we, we were on a, like a lockdown, like we shouldn't leave because of COVID exposure, that quarantine. And and at that point, like. All the, all the rules go out the window. All, all bets are off. You know, Adam, Adam's drinking iced coffee at two in the morning. That happens. Playing really old mobile games, yes, yelling that. at me for going to bed at two in the morning. Uh, and I was happened. abandoning the team. You did abandon the team. We were on a roll, dude. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's time for the fourth step. Yeah, seriously. But it's like it's like anything else. When I have these problems, say it's like when I when I make mountains out of them, there that's I'm never going to do it. But if I apply the twelve steps to it, and if I just take it, or it's like okay, well, what's going to make a difference today? One small act is going to make the difference. I'm going to snowball it. Or it's like okay, you know what? I'm going to eat healthy for breakfast. I can do that. All right, you know what? I'm going to make the choice to eat healthy for lunch. I'm not going to think about dinner yet. I can eat healthy for lunch. Okay, well, I did that. 
All right, cool. I'm going to roll myself. I, I had some junk food. Tomorrow, I'm going to only focus on eating healthy food for breakfast and lunch again. And then eventually, it's, it's you know, like that whole, it's like, I'm only going to not drink for the next half hour. Because, you know, I was, I was like half hour, like minute by minute at some points. And if I apply and break it down that way, it's like, it's a little bit easier for me. Correct. But we all have that capability of just making these things in our life so insurmountable. And it all really just, to me, it, it, it is initially, it's, okay, what can I do today? That radical acceptance, I accept where I am. And what can I do today about it? Well, yeah, that that radical acceptance, I was just talking to someone today about about really reaffirming the principle of changing what you can and not worrying about what you can't change and what you can't control. Cause I was, I was speaking to somebody about um, a mutual friend that's in treatment again. And, you know, she's asking me about this and that, and the other thing of what he's going to do. And I'm like, I don't know. I talked to him about all of it, but he's going to do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. So I suggested this, this, and that. And she's, oh, well, why do you think this is? I'm like, I know what it is because I've been where he's at right now. Yeah. And it's a lot of it is, you know, self-perceived bullshit pressure and judgment from people that aren't actually pressuring him or judging him. But he thinks they are. And until he realizes that that's just his disease talking to him, he's not going to get here. He's not going to get to this next level and start working these steps and and make the decisions and show the willingness and get the honesty and all that stuff. And all I can do is support and help as best I can. And I mean, that's where I'm at today. And that's for every single thing in life that has to apply. Yeah. Everything. What can I do about it? Nothing. Well, I guess I can do nothing about it. What can I do about it? Oh, I can change my fucking attitude? I should probably change my fucking attitude. Pray about very it. difficult for me. I'll give you a typical, you know, sponsor type answer, which is pray pray for that person. You know, and anything you can do to get outside. Only if they you. deserve it, though, right? No. Oh. Always. I know. Uh, Always. But a very beautiful thing in recovery is when you walk in a room... And you don't think that anyone's thinking about you because you know, they're not. And that was such a big misconception I had. It's like, Oh, they're all, everyone's judging me and they're all talking about me. And you know, uh, what's this person think of me? It's like it's none, the best phrase ever heard in recovery is what other people think of me is none of my business. And it's true. It really isn't. And the notion though, that I was so self-centered that I thought that everybody was thinking about me every time I went into a room. It's like, oh, don't say anything stupid. That person's judging me. This person hates me. This person's never going to accept me. Well, screw that person because they're a dick. Once you get rid of that, it's it's a monumental feeling. And oh, and it doesn't completely go away. But like, no, there it ebbs and flows like everything else. But it's 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 not only that. It's walking in that room being like, this guy thinks I'm a dick. Oh well. Yeah. That's not my problem. No. What other people think of me is none of my damn business. Yeah. Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to deal with me and my sarcasm or my rusting bitch face. But 
I can't I can't change it all at once. No. And the fact of the matter is that you and that person equally have just as much right to be there. Correct. And you're both going there for the same thing. In theory. In theory. And that is one thing I always had to remind myself. Anytime that I got really nervous trying to walk into a meeting or even, you know, still when I get nervous, like, yo, we're all here trying to do the same thing. We're all just trying to get a meeting in. No one is going to judge you. So in conclusion of tonight's episode, we hope that you guys had just as much fun listening to this as we actually get putting together and putting out for all of you guys. If you like what you heard and you like this message, feel free to pass this along to anyone that you think may benefit from it. To stay up to date on the newest episodes, uh, latest happening and current events at the 11th hour, go on to Facebook and follow us, The 11th Hour, or check us out at Instagram at The 11th Hour Addiction Recovery. And until next time, keep spreading the message. Keep spreading hope. Keep spreading love. Um, and that's all I got. So I'll edit this part out. You need to change, motherfucker.